Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm We are at the interview part of the show. Um, joining us today is um, an author, and his book is called As Far as I Can Tell Finding My Father in World War II. His name's Phil Gamboni. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Phil, let's start out. So, um, when what what drew you into writing this book? Uh, why did you want this story to come out? Well, as I think many of your listeners of a certain age will recognize, um, my father, like so many veterans of World War II, very rarely spoke about his service. Um, I can remember, uh, oh, a handful of times when he might have referenced being in the war and told us a few details, but basically spared us the story of uh, his 10 months in Europe and his two years in basic training before that. I once asked my mother, why doesn't Daddy talk about the war? And I'll never forget her answer. She said, your father says it was horrible, and he never wants to talk about it. To this day, I don't know even if my mother knew how horrible his experience was. So anyway, Dad died in 1991, and uh, when we were cleaning out his effects, I found a scrapbook of photographs 
that he had taken during the war, a very small, very small scrapbook and very small photographs, um, and four souvenir maps that the Army gave him at the end of the war to show him um, where he had been, because in so many instances, um, certainly the grunt soldiers, the doughboys, as they were sometimes called, um, had no idea where they were or where they were going. They were just following orders. Um, and I also found among his effects um, a book that had been published in 1950, five years after the war, which was sort of a semi-official history of his division. My father was in the Fifth Armored Division. He was a gunner in a, in a tank. So I kind of... Mm, glanced through that stuff, wasn't particularly interested, put it in a box, and it wasn't until many years later, after he had passed away and after my mother had passed away, that um, I started thinking, well, what was his experience? What was it like to be in the war? Dad and I did not have much of a talking relationship. Um, he was a he was a taciturn man, even in the best of circumstances. Certainly with us, and as a gay man, I had things I didn't want to tell him. So we kind of went through life um, not telling each other our stories. So it was only many many years after he died, and then after my mom passed away, that I began to wonder what was this all about. I then, in 2012, I guess, uh, eight years ago, went on the first of three trips to Europe armed with those maps and uh, with a friend of mine who had a car, traced his route across Normandy, uh, the first part of his tour of duty in the war. And it was kind of an experiment. I thought to myself, if I'm going to get to know what Dad's experience was all about, one way I'm going to do this is actually to be in the field and to literally follow in his tank tracks from Utah Beach, where he landed seven weeks after D-Day, um, through Paris. So that's what I did with my buddy, um, and I went home and thought, yeah, I really want to do this. I'm fascinated by already what I'm seeing and discovering, and I want to continue. So I made two more trips to Europe to complete his entire route. His division went all the way to the Elbe River. In fact, they were the division that was closest to Berlin when the war ended. And then I also made several trips to the various training camps um, where he trained for two years in the U.S. Um, I also interviewed several men who were still living, who were part of his division, the Fifth Armored Division. My one disappointment is that none of them had known my father or remembered him. Um, so I never actually talked to anybody who knew and observed my father firsthand, but that was kind of part of the 
adventure of the research and part of the um, the trickiness of the project was to piece together what his experience was like um, with very little information. Uh, a handful of letters, most of his letters home were lost, this scrapbook of photographs, um, about a dozen interviews I made with other guys in his division, um, and then my own research both in the libraries that I used and um, in the field. Wow. Uh, I, I was going to say, one of the things I, I, I have to ask is, because I, I feel this is true with me, um, do you think your father, um, do you think it was generational that he didn't talk about things? Because, you know, um, back that, I could relate to that with my own father. And I think back in those times, um, you know, the old John Wayne, Wayne persona of, of, you know, men don't talk. You know what I mean? Like yep. things yep. like that. I wonder if that, that was sort of how he was uh, in general or if it was just specific to the war. Yeah, I had um, the same exact it, thought. Yeah. In, in, in thinking about this, I, I've come up with several answers. I think, uh, first of all, as my mom said, it really was horrible, and I think he didn't want to revisit it. I think in some ways he tried to push those memories and those experiences aside and get on with his life. I think it was also part of the ethic of um, his time and his gender that men just didn't talk about emotional stuff. He was also a pretty laconic man to begin with. Mm. My mom was the storyteller. He was not. And then I think he, he also um, wanted to to spare us, his his sons. He, my mom and dad had, had four sons. I think he wanted to spare us um, the the trauma of listening to those stories. So he was in the war before you were born. Is that correct? Correct. He met my mom. Um, he met my mom about six months after he returned. He returned in. October of 1945. He had to do uh, six months of occupation duty um, in Germany. Came back you in October remember... of 40. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, he came back in October of 45 and met my mom in in the winter of 46, and they were married in 47. As a little kid, do you have memories of being a little child and, and sort of uh, seeing him as a formidable or intimidating figure, like before you even understood about his history in the war? Like, was your impression of him always as being somewhat taciturn and distant, or did that sort of form as you understood his history more? Oh, uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I certainly never thought of him as um, formidable. I, he... I did think of him as um, extremely confident in some things, and I talk about that in the book. He, um, he, he was a very modest man in a lot of ways. He, he was a dry cleaner his entire life from the time he was probably a teenager, and that's the re occupation he returned to after the war. 
And in fact, it's the occupation that killed him because he ended up with leukemia from all of the chemicals as a dry cleaner. But um, I did see my dad as somebody who had um, uh, really elegant and beautiful competence in certain areas. He, he, he was also an amateur tailor. Um, he was uh, somebody who took care of the house meticulously in terms of painting and landscaping. Um, he also had the patience of a saint because we, we lived with my grandmother, my mother's mother. Um, and in fact, this becomes a, a really important element in the story. And she was always putting him down. And he very rarely um, stood up to her, except for once that I talk about in, in the epilogue of the book, which is um, significant. I, I don't want to give it away. So um, I saw my dad as somebody who was modest, was patient, um, was gentle, um, who had these modest competencies, um, but didn't particularly want to talk about his childhood or and certainly did not want to talk about the war. Once he got back, I think all of his energy and all of his commitment was to his marriage and to his sons. Mm. Wow. Um, uh, so at this point, I just I just wonder. Um, uh, now you never really communicated with him either. It sounds like that. That's right. So so you had things you wouldn't tell him. So so was that just a reaction? Do you think to what the way he was? Or are you worried more about his reaction to what you had to tell him? The the things that were most important in my life. Um, or certainly the most important, one of the most important things, my, my sexuality, is something that I certainly did not feel comfortable talking to him about. Not because I thought that he would react violently, but again, it was part of the culture of those times. We're talking, I, I, I grew up um, in, in the 60s and, and, and 70s, and that was just not a time when... Uh, young gay men talk to their families about about being gay. So we 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 played this kind of um, do si do around each other. There were things he wouldn't tell me, didn't want to tell me about his life, and things about my life that I didn't want to tell him. We were not estranged, but we were not particularly close. I wasn't. Um, I, I wasn't a, an athlete. My dad loved to golf. He loved to bowl. In fact, about the only athletic thing that we really did together was we did go bowling. Um, and that was really fun. Um, I enjoyed those times um, with my dad. But in terms of um, I, I never golfed with him, um, never played football with him, that kind of stuff just we went our separate ways. Uh, I was um, curious what Alan had said about the, uh, the John Wayne thing, which was the exact thing that's been crossing my mind, sort of the strong, silent type. I just yep. wanted to ask a general question about uh, just if this experience having a father like this left you with any 
particular feelings about masculinity in general. And when I say in general, I mean like the archetype. I don't want to say toxic masculinity, but just the John Wayne archetype, because I personally always struggle with that. I think it's, um, it's a hindrance. Like it causes a lot of destruction and exhaustion just as a mode of behavior, even though sometimes it helps to turn it on if you have to be tough or if you're in a conflict or whatever. So I was just curious about, about that just as a, because you talked about athleticism, bowling. I'm just wondering if, if just masculinity as a theme, if you have comments on that. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a scene that I talk about early on in the book where um, dad would take us to the father-son uh, afternoons at the Elks Club and I just found them intolerable. There, you know, there would be mm-hmm. baseball games or whatever, and then um, father-son dinners where we'd sit at long tables with other fathers and sons and, and shoot the breeze. And there was nothing about those events, the, 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 the sports, the kind of food they mm-hmm. served, the kind of conversation around the table. There was nothing in those um, events for me whatsoever. And I, I know Dad tried very hard to um, uh, to have bonding experiences with us. I, I, they weren't called yeah. bonding experiences in those days. I think going bowling was one. Um, taking us to the Elks Club was another. By the time I got to be in high school, I, I was able to kind of weasel out of those events simply by declaring that I was too busy. I was busy with my studies. I was busy with a whole host of extracurricular activities, which had nothing to do with with sports or masculine kinds of things. I was in the band. I was in the orchestra. I was in the chorus. Um, Mm. So, um, and, and to my dad's credit, he didn't push it. He let us, Mm. each of us, be who we were. Um, there's another part in the book where I speculate about why Dad was so both tolerant of my own, the, the path that I was taking, and also when I finally came out to him, um, so accepting. And I, in part, it must have been because he knew some gay men in the Army. Not every gay man in the Army um, was expelled. Some um, rather outrageous gay men got to stay in. And um, there's also a family story about a distant cousin uh, when he was growing up who committed suicide because he was gay. And so I think those things must, again, this, a lot of this is speculation, but I think those kinds of experiences and just the fact that my father was a gentle man um, allowed him to let me have my own path. And that's something that I didn't really fully appreciate, the gift he gave me of letting me be who I was until, really until I started writing this book and speculating about my dad. So at, at the at the at the, so when someone comes and buys your book and, and, and takes it home and reads it, at, at the end of it, um, is, is there a message or something that you want them to get out of it? 
Well, what, uh, there were lots of questions I was pursuing in the book. Uh, in fact, I'd say that the book is two narratives that intertwine and, and, and interweave. Um, the first narrative, of course, is just to try to reconstruct what my father's experience was like in the war. And I was, although I certainly talk about battles, the book is a lot less about battles than it is about the emotional experience of the war. The second narrative is what it was like for me all those years later um, to be there in Europe or to be there in the Mojave Desert in California where he was uh, doing some of his basic training um, or to be up in California uh, uh, Camp Drum, New York, uh, on the Canadian border, where he did more of his basic training. To be in all of those places and um, have my own feelings and experiences and thoughts. This especially came out when I went to Europe. And there I am on the very roads where my dad was, in the very... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
villages where my father was. Um, thinking about Europe, thinking about European history, in many cases I was in places where not only my father had fought, but where other wars had been fought. So thinking about the Hundred Years' War, thinking about the Thirty Years' War, thinking about some of the religious wars um, of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, um, thinking about civilization, what does it mean to be civilized? How, what, does, what does it mean to protect civilization? What does it mean to be in a place that was completely decimated and have to start all over again? Um, I'm a huge fan of, of Europe and European culture, but on the trips I made in conjunction with this book, I was looking at Europe in a very different way than I was when I was a quote-unquote tourist. Um, I was looking at things that I never would have looked at before. Um, cities in Germany completely rebuilt. Um, German war cemeteries, American war cemeteries. Um, things that I never would have paid much attention to before. So that was the second narrative of the book. What was it like for me? to follow in, in, in Dad's tank tracks and to have these thoughts and these feelings. Um, is there a conclusion that I came to? Certainly along the way I was surprised at some of my own emotional reactions, uh, certainly surprised at my um, admiration for the patriotism of the soldiers, for the bravery of the soldiers, for their their willingness to simply do their duty. Um, I was... Did, did I come to any firm conclusions on my own about war or service in the Army? One thing I talk about, it's another strand in the book, is that... Um, I was drafted into the Army in 1970 during the height of the Vietnam War, and I passed all of the physicals until I got to the Army psychiatrist and told him I was gay, and three weeks later I had a 4F. My parents did not know the reason why I got a 4F. They thought it was for a, very, for a different medical reason. Um, and so one of the questions that I pursued throughout the book was, could, could I have fallen in um, with Army life and combat life um, had I gone to Vietnam? Um, I never exactly answered that question. I wanted it to kind of hang as a speculation rather than as a, uh, a question that I wanted to have a firm answer to. Um, another question was, is there uh, a cause for which I would be willing to lay down my life? And again, I never quite answer that question definitively, but it's a question that I speculate about over and over again uh, as the book proceeds. What do you think... Um for for me, every time I write a book, I always learn something about myself. 
um, sometimes more than I expect. Um, did you have that same sort of um, thing happen to you writing this book? Absolutely. Uh, and I think the thing that I most learned was, um, and I know this is going to sound trite or cliched, but um, tremendous respect for my father. It's not that I did not respect him before, but um, I'm not sure I paid my father a lot of attention. And one of the things that this book forced me to do was pay a lot more attention to my father, um, a lot more attention to the way he behaved in the war, and a lot more attention to the kind of father and husband and family man he was as I was growing up. And um, what I came out of that with was of what a um, what an enormously uh, decent man my father was. I suppose I could have said that Intellect, I understood that intellectually before I did that, the book, but it made an enormous impact on me emotionally as I came to write the book. Is, uh, is your mom still alive? No. Uh, okay, so she hasn't, she, didn't, she wasn't a party to the book, and obviously while you were working on it or anything like that. No, there, there were several family members um, who did answer questions, certainly my two brothers, mm -hmm. who came up with memories of my dad that I didn't remember. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, some cousins uh, who also had um, stories to tell me. In fact, one cousin um, was the one who told me that he went to the, on the only reunion my dad ever went to. Um, to uh, of his division was uh, I think it was in 1963 he never wanted to go to a reunion he never wanted to um, go to any veterans organizations he never accepted any veterans benefits but my mom convinced him to go to the 5th Armored Division reunion when it came to Boston in 1963. And um, my cousin, who was about 25 years younger than my dad and his wife, went along with them. In fact, I think that's the only way my mother convinced dad to go, was let's, let's make an evening of it. We'll go into Boston. We'll go to this hotel where the reunion is. We'll have a nice dinner. So in any event, I interviewed my cousin, uh, whose name is Fred, about that evening. And Fred said, yes, uh, we went to the reunion and all of the guys had brought their scrapbooks and their stories. And I went into one suite in the hotel where a bunch of guys were sharing their scrapbooks. And I was paging through the scrapbooks and saw these horrific pictures of the concentration camps. And this is 1963. Um, a lot of 
middle-class America didn't know much about the Holocaust at that point. And Fred said I was horrified. And on the way home, he asked my dad if he had seen the concentration camps, that had he been to any. And he said, your father said yes, and that was the end of the conversation. It was clear he didn't want to mm. talk about it. So that sent me on a um, long research project to figure out if, in fact, the 5th Armored Division and my father had liberated any concentration camps or seen any. And um, without giving away too much of the book, I can say that it was a um, very interesting and frustrating part of my research because there is conflicting evidence. You would think that um, the story about whether the 5th Armored Division had liberated a concentration camp or not would be clear. Um, it is not. And I got conflicting reports from some of the guys that I interviewed and um, some of my other research. So that's, that's one of the, the mysteries that I was tracing um, in the book. Did, did Dad actually experience the horrors of a concentration camp or not. Another mystery in the book is why all of my father's letters home, except for a small handful of greeting cards, um, went missing. We have no idea uh, what happened to those letters. Um, it's estimated that most soldiers wrote home almost every day. Um, if that statistic is accurate, then there should be over 400 letters from my dad, um, considering he was in Europe for 10 months and then in, in um, training for another two years before that. Um, all those letters are gone. Um, so again, I, it, it's a mystery that I, I, I pursued I, and I'd have to say that part of this book is about the whole process of reconstructing a, a story that has basically disappeared. And for me, that was one of the really interesting, um, intriguing, exciting aspects of the book. How do you, how do you reconstruct a story that's basically been lost? Mm. I would I would say now you you um, you probably learned to understand your father better. Um, yeah. By doing this book, um, was there was there anything that really surprised you that you found out about him? Um. Well, I I was surprised to learn that my father was almost killed in the war. Um, I was surprised to learn what duress he was under, what physical danger he was under. Um, I was surprised to learn how well he came through the war, considering what he had been through. Um, I was surprised also, as I said earlier, about some of my own reactions. There's a, there's a, 
passage in the book where I talk about um, my reactions after seeing a German war cemetery. And I, and I, I won't talk about that anymore people read that because it's, it's complex. But there were things that surprised me about my own reactions as well as things that I learned about my father. Uh, do you feel closer to him now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's toward the end of the book where I say um, a relationship, a, a deep relationship occurs when two people pay attention to each other. And mm-hmm. um, obviously my father can't pay attention to me anymore. He's gone. But I know that in the course of the eight years it took me to put this book together, um, I paid a lot more attention to my dad um, than I ever did when he was alive. And because of that, I feel... Um, I, I have a relationship with him, even though he is gone. Wow. Um, so, um, do, now, do you have a website or a place uh, that people can come find you and maybe find out more about you and the book? Um, I do not have a website. There, there, there's a Wikipedia article about me, which I will quickly add I did not write. I have no idea who did. Um, but it's... <laughs> But it's pretty accurate. Um, people can also go to the website of the publisher, Rattling Good Yarn Press, and um, there's a lot about me. There are some blurbs about the book, um, and I believe there's even an interview with me um, uh, on that website. So those are places where they can go, and and it's on the Rattling Good Yarn website uh, that they can also uh, find a link to order the book. Fantastic. Now, we're going to have that on our website as well, so people that are listening can do one click and and, and pick up the book and, and find you at the uh, Rattling Good Yarns uh, website, you know. Um, so how, how are you doing now? How is everything going for you now, and how is everything with, how are you feeling with COVID and all the stuff going on in the in the country, um, where's oh, your head at now? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's let, let's start with the book. I, I'm enormously proud of this book. This, this is the fifth book that I've published. I published a book of short stories, a novel, a book of interviews with gay fiction writers, um, a book of profiles of prominent LGBTQ Americans, and I'm proud of all of those books. But um, I think, in in some ways, this is the best book I've ever written. It's the, um, it's the book that took me the longest to write. And um, whenever I, I, I did a lot of work with the, with the publishers uh, this, this past summer and fall, um, editing and proofreading the book, and uh, there was never a time when I felt, oh my gosh, I could have said that better, or uh, why did I put it this way or that way? It, it, I, it feels as if, I said and told the story just the way I wanted to. So I'm feeling really good about that. Um, I'm already working on a new book, a new collection of short stories, 
going to be a collection of short stories about older gay men. Um, in terms of the larger world, uh, gosh, what can I say? Uh, we're doing this interview uh, when the results of the election are still up in the air. I'm feeling hopeful that we will um, scuttle this uh, completely fraudulent presidency and um, put in a man that is uh, honest and decent and progressive and will steer the country back towards sanity. Um, At the same time, I am uh, sad that the country is so polarized and I hope that uh, if Biden does prevail and becomes our president, he will find a way to um, bring the, uh, the, the, the two halves of the country closer together, listening to each other, working uh, with each other, and uh, being more decent and more civil to each other. Yeah, we can only hope for the best, you know, and uh, move forward that way. Um, but, you know, the, the book you have here and that you've written, I think it's a very important story. I think it's a really, it lays out kind of uh, the relationships between people um, not too long ago, you know, in our lives. And I think that, um, it, I, I think people were better at uh, dealing with things maybe uh, a few years back, but... Um, yeah, we'll I, think also, I think it's also yeah. important to acknowledge um, that we should look at um, the war completely through rose-colored glasses. I talk about the racism um, in the Army, which was horrible. Um, fights broke out between black and white soldiers. Uh, black soldiers were served last when they showed up at... Um, Restaurants and bars went during basic training. Um, there were, um, you know, there was there was certainly some anti-Semitism going on even within the army. Uh, boys from the north and boys from the south didn't quite understand, get along all the time. So, um, so yes, uh, in some ways it seems like a simpler era when things weren't quite as polarized. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that um, uh, there were, not everything was as rosy or as, uh, as uh, uh, calm as, as we would like to think. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a great conversation. Um, Our guest has been Phil Gamboni, and the book we're talking about is As Far As I Can Tell, Finding My Father in World War II. Um, I want to thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Great to talk to both of you. Thank you, Phil. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.